The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I, again, I'm assuming that you want your life to glorify God. And certainly, we know that as a church, part of us gathering together is that there's a sense that when we come together, we can glorify God in ways that we can't individually. Uh, that we are together the body of Christ. And so what we are together as His body is more than what we could ever be individually. So we are to glorify God personally and individually uh, through our own life. But we're also to glorify Him and enjoy Him together corporately. So what does that look like in a place like this? Um, and specifically, what does it look like as we talk about this area of communion with God? Um, and to help us do that, I want to look this morning at uh, John 15, uh, which really is for, for me, and I hope for our church together, a great picture of, of how this works, all right? And why it's important. Uh, and uh, so I hope this is encouraging to you. It's a little bit about what we do as a church. It's kind of strategy and philosophy. But I also hope it will be practical for you about how you can be glorifying God and enjoying Him through being in communion with God. So what exactly does that mean? Well, uh, let's, let's start by reading John 15, 1 through 11. A very familiar passage, but let's read it again. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed or apart from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain or abide in my love. When you obey my commandments, you you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And in this passage, Jesus uh, leads us down a path that hits those two targets. Okay? Remember the two tar- what are the two targets? To glorify God and have joy in Him. Right? And uh, as Jesus takes us down this path of abiding, He hits both of those targets. He says, if you do this, in this, my Father is glorified. In verse 9, and then in verse uh, uh, 11, he says, I told you things so that your joy would be full. In other words, that you would enjoy, you'd come to the fullness of joy in God. 
So let's look briefly at these two paths, or it's really one path that hits both of these targets. Uh, it is the only path, that, and by the way, it is the only path to glorifying God. There is no other way. Okay, we can't flip to another gospel, we can't flip to a, uh, something Paul wrote and find a different way to glorify God. Okay, this is it. If you want to glorify God, this is the only path that's available to us. So it's a big deal, and that's why as a church we want to make sure we get this right. Right, and why it's a big deal for us corporately as well as individually. You want to glorify God, these are the steps you must take to get there, Jesus says. So what's the step? Well, first off, we glorify God by bearing fruit, he says. We glorify God by a life that is fruitful, that's producing something uh, that gives glory to God. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he breaks it down into really two parts or two phases. The first part would be what God does. The second part is what we do. And, of course, the most important part is what God does, and that's where he starts. And I've titled that really the gospel because it uh, captures really all that Jesus says about what God is doing to make us fruitful. And uh, Jesus describes it in the first part where he says, you know, I'm the grapevine, my father is the gardener. Uh, And he says that you have been pure pruned and purified by the message I've given you. So what's all that mean? Well, first of all, he talks about the Father being the gardener. Uh, God owns the field, right? God owns, he's the the landlord, he is the owner of everything, right? And in this case, the field happens to be the whole universe, right? And in that universe, specifically in planet Earth, he has planted a vineyard. And he has carefully, uh, as, as Lord of all creation, called Jesus to be the vine. And uh, it's important to get the... There's a, there's a change between the Old Testament and New in this teaching. In the Old Testament, who was the vine? Anybody know? Israel. Okay? And a lot of imagery in the Old Testament describes Israel as God's vine and, and as a vineyard that God planted. But now that's changing. Jesus is now depicted as the vine. And uh, in, in verse 2, where, where Jesus says, if you don't produce fruit, uh, God's going to cut you off and throw you away. It's really a warning and challenge to Israel. Because Israel had occupied this place as God's vineyard, but because they had not been fruitful, they were at great risk of being cut off from God's plan. Uh, uh, but it is God's plan. It's God's vineyard, and he's planted this beautiful garden. Now, does anybody here like to garden? Anybody? A couple of you. I, I used to like to garden. It seems kind of pointless in Thailand because there's just stuff growing everywhere. Uh, it's too easy, I guess. But I used to love to garden. And, um, you know, the whole point of a vegetable garden is to get vegetables, right? And I remember, you know, every year I would get in the mail this burpee seed catalog. And it was this fun little catalog full of all these beautiful pictures of, like, these gigantic, juicy red tomatoes and <laughs> these wonderful plants and, and crops. And I would just... Look at that, and I would just drool over this magazine. I would get so excited. And I would get all excited about what seeds I was going to order so that I could plant them. And I always had this vision to, to grow good tomatoes. And, you know, the supermarkets where we lived just did not have good, tasty tomatoes. They tasted kind of like cardboard. And uh, so I wanted good tomatoes. And I'd see these beautiful pictures of these just juicy, yummy, ripe, beautiful tomatoes. So I would order these seeds. Now... Uh, we lived at about 9,000 feet, right? We had about a four-week growing season, 
right? A little, a little longer than that, but not much, right? And I would, I would always get so excited, and I would plant these seeds inside early, you know, uh, next to the wood stove so they didn't die, uh, waiting for the frost to go away and be able to plant my, my tomato plants. And uh, the day would come when I could move them outside, these kind of spindly, sickly-looking tomato plants, put them in the ground, and I'd put the wall of water around them and plastic over them and straw and you know, to insulate these poor little things. I'd put little hats and mittens on them because it was cold where we lived. And uh, with some coaxing and some prayer, they, they would actually grow into these beautiful tomato vines. Every year, I get these huge, giant, gorgeous tomato vines, right? And every year, you know, they would blossom and they'd pollinate and they'd get these nice green tomatoes growing. But long before they ever turned red or became edible, it would freeze and they would die, right? And that uh, was always quite disappointing. Because the point of my planting these was not just to have beautiful tomato vines. It was to have something to eat. It was to get produce, right? It was such a disappointment. I never got, I never got tomatoes. Right? Well, why, why does God the Father plant his garden? Is it so they can have a lovely looking vine? So he can have beautiful foliage? So in the autumn when the leaves change, you can have a beautiful array of colors? No. He plants the vine because he wants it to produce fruit. Right? That's his purpose. Right? So it tells you something about what will glorify God. Okay, God has planted a vineyard. He has called us into himself so that we would bear fruit. Right? And it is in bearing fruit that we will glorify God. To the extent that our lives produce something, whatever it is, that God's looking for, that is the extent that we will bring joy to God. We will delight him. We will bring glory to him. Uh, and... He describes how he's going to do this, right? Uh, he's planted this vine, and, and Jesus identifies himself as the vine. Right? So Jesus, uh, God the Father, is going to produce this fruit, first and foremost, through the work of his Son. Okay, it's really important to see that. Okay? God did not bypass the vineyard and just plant twigs. He didn't just staple branches to the wall and expect them to produce fruit. He planted a vine that would be the agent by which Branches would sprout forth and fruit would come. Jesus is primarily, primarily, really solely, the means by which God is going to produce fruit in the world. Uh, And and that's the picture that, that Jesus paints here. We will be fruitful only to the extent that we are somehow connected to Jesus the vine. Uh, and he uh, elaborates that a little more in verse 3 where Jesus says, you have, been, you have been pruned and purified by what? By the message I've given you. He says, something about being made fruitful has to do with being pr- pruned and purified. Well, what is, that, what, what is the message that Jesus has proclaimed to them? Well, the word he uses there is, is the word logos. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, John identifies Jesus as the logos, the word, right? It's the sum of all of Jesus' teaching that focus on his life, his death, his resurrection. We could say, you could substitute really there the word gospel. You have already been made clean by the gospel message I have proclaimed. That's what he's speaking about. Of course, he hasn't gone to the cross yet, so it's not finished, but he's so close to the cross that Jesus is speaking in terms as if it's done. He said, look, that's the message. I came to proclaim the message of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. The gospel of, of Jesus' life and death. And so the image is this. 
the images of this vine, which is the life, death, and resurrection, the person and work of Christ. And that is the, the means, the, the media, the medium by which God will produce fruit. Uh, and it's real important to keep that uh, distinction. Ultimately, we are made fruitful through the work of Christ on the cross. Uh, and that's really what, uh, what the foundation of what Jesus is teaching here. The gospel is the starting point. The work of the Father in sending his Son, dying for us, uh, cleansing us, making us suitable, making us right, making us the kind of people who now have a capacity to bear fruit for God's kingdom. And that's the work of Christ in us. And Jesus says to his disciples, because you have received this message, because you have become heirs of the gospel, because you have by faith appropriated what I have done, you now become connected with me. We are now, you are now in the vine. And now it's possible for you to be people who bear fruit. In fact, he says, uh, the only proof, the only real evidence to show you are in Christ is that you are fruit-bearing. So there's no such thing as a Christian who does not bear fruit. That's kind of good news for us. (laughs) If you're a believer, you will bear fruit. If if the gospel has done any work in your life at all, you will be bearing fruit to the glory of God. Praise God for that, right? So, So a lot of you just, by your faith in Christ... God's doing something in you that is bearing fruit. Right? Um, but it doesn't just end there. And uh, he makes it very clear that while it is, it is the work of God, it is the work of the gospel, it is the work of Christ, that it is also something we have some measure of control over. In other words, if you're a believer, you will bear fruit. We will all bear fruit. But we will, all, we will not all bear fruit equally. Some will be far more fruitful than others. And a lot of that is largely dependent on us. Right? On us. Well, well, how do we do that? Well, Jesus spells it out. He says, look, abide in me and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me. And he says in verse 5, he says, yes, I am the vine you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Okay, so the key is abiding. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we get to the abiding, I want to get to what it is not. Okay? And in verse, in verse 6, um, in verse 5, he says this. He says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why don't you all repeat after me? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? We need to knit that. We need to make t-shirts. Okay? Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. This is so important okay, to get this, what, what it is not. Um, and it's really important for us, who are, especially who are in full-time ministry or Christian workers, right, who are all about doing. Right? Now, is it true? Is it really true that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing? Well, actually, it's not, it's not quite true. You can do lots of stuff apart from Jesus. You can do everything apart from Jesus. What he really means is this. Apart from me, you can do nothing that matters to God. Apart from me, you can do nothing that makes any difference in God's eyes. Apart from me, you can do nothing that brings glory to the Father. That's some powerful words, right? And, And it's words that we need to keep before us continually. You can't do anything that... You can't do anything that matters to God 
apart from being uh, in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, we live in a world where it is all about doing, where we measure life from beginning to end by what we do, right? Uh, you know, if you raise support, the people who support you want to know what you do. If you get paid by some organization, they pay you because of what you do, right? We evaluate and measure our success by what we do. Uh, we grade ourselves as Christians largely on what we do, right? But here's a scary truth. You can do anything. You can do ministry. You can do evangelism. You can do prayer. You can do church planting. You can be a pastor. You can be a missionary. You can do ministry. You can disciple. You can lead Bible studies. But if you do those things apart from Christ, it doesn't matter anything to God. Right? Uh, that's what Jesus says here. Apart from me, you can do nothing that matters to God. Um, you know, we can get so busy doing. Right? It is so easy to get caught up in a, in a life where we measure our worth and our value by how busy we are. And uh, we feel that if we are super active and you know, we wear ourselves out, and we go from early morning to late night doing, 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 that somehow God's going, wow, that's awesome. Look at you. You're killing yourself. I love it. Right? Right? Look at that. Just all that busyness, right? The truth is God is not at all impressed. God is not impressed. God, in fact, God is insulted if we are busy doing stuff, but we're doing it apart from him. Right? And the sad reality is there's a lot of people who are doing it in their own thinking, their motive and intention is to glorify God. Right? They are very sincere in their activity. They are very diligent and hardworking in what they are doing, but they miss this one key point of Scripture. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Right? God is not asking us to do anything to impress Him. Okay? God is not asking us to do ministry and to be busy to bring glory to His name. Right? It's not how it works. Um, in the Old Testament, he puts it this way, in Isaiah 50, right? uh, he puts it in very specific, clear, hard words. He says this, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? Okay, you raise your hand, that's me. If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Okay? Good promise. You know, you're in the darkness. You don't know where to go. You're confused. You are lost. You realize, I'm helpless. He says, trust in the Lord, and he will be your light. Right? That's what this communion thing is about. God being the light in your life. Right? But notice what he says beyond that. He says, but watch out. You who live in your own light. Wow. You hear those words? Watch out. You who live in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fires. Okay, you're in the darkness and you're curious to do your own thing, to solve it yourself, to be independent, to be a self-made man, to work it out yourself, to be tough. God says, watch out. Isaiah says, watch out. He says, this is the reward you will receive from me. You will soon fall down in great torment. Wow. Right? Wow. Um, God is not impressed by our doing. If what we are doing, we are doing in our own strength, by our own light, by building our own fire, right? And the truth is, you can do ministry your whole life this way, okay? You can serve God 
uh, from one end to the other and do it completely in your own strength. Right? And uh, it can even look impressive to people on the outside. You can impress people with this, okay? Because we're impressed by doing, right? Uh, and you can write books, you can get published, you can have a church of 20,000 people, right? But when God measures the fruitfulness of it, if Christ was not the one doing it, if it was not being done through the outflow of the gospel, through the outworking of Christ in our life, guess what? It's not bearing fruit. It is not bringing glory to God. Um, So that's the warning. Okay, that's the warning. So what are we to do then? Okay, what, what, is, what is the command to us? Well, it's interesting, in this passage, there are basically four uh, commands, four imperatives, where Jesus says, this is what you are to do. None of the commands are to bear fruit, right? Interestingly enough. We bear fruit, we, we bring glory to God by bearing fruit, but never once does Jesus command us to go out and bear fruit, right? What are we to do? Well, the command is this. Uh, he says, he commands us to, two times, he commands us to abide in me. He says, you abide. Uh, one time he commands that we pray and ask. And we'll get to that one in a minute. The, th- the, the third main one, he says, he commands us to love each other. Right? Uh, uh, and we're commanded to abide in his love. Right? Okay, so three of the commands are to abide. One is to ask and one is to love. So let's look at that. Uh, we are, our job... What we are to be about is abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. That's what God calls us to do. And if we are doing any of our doing separately from abiding in Christ, it's not working. So when you look at the priority, at uh, at how you divide time, at how you decide what is important in your life, what's more important, being busy and active or abiding in Christ? Well, Jesus says, it better be abiding in Christ, right? Because that's the only way that you will ever produce anything in and through your life that is of effect. But what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, uh, I don't have time to go. This is a huge topic. We could spend a whole month talking about what it means to abide in Christ. But let me just highlight quickly. It really has the idea and really means what we define as communion. Uh, Communion comes from two Latin words, com means with, right? Union is the, it means one. So one with something. Uh, And in this context, it means to be one with Jesus, one with God, right? We are in oneness with him. We are connected deeply with him. Uh, And I I would look at it in three, three ways. How do we connect with God? Well, we connect with him first through the gospel, right? It means that we identify we're sinful, we are weak, we are incapable in and of ourselves of serving and loving God, of saving ourselves or doing anything fruitful. And we recognize, we acknowledge that our effectiveness, our capacity to serve comes through the work that Jesus did for us. Right? So front and center, and Jesus, you know, Jesus alludes to it here, front and center is the cross. Front and center is the gospel of Christ. Front and center is the work that Jesus has done in us and through us to make us... Um, it possible for us to even be connected to him and to be fruitful. Uh, we need to reflect often and deeply on that reality of the gospel. Uh, John Owen puts it this way, and uh, let me read um, 
what he says. He says, There is nothing more certain in a Christian experience than this, that as we really, by faith, behold the glory of Christ as depicted in the gospel, the glory of his person and his mission, and so abide in holy thoughts and meditations of that glory, all grace will thrive and live in us in some measure, especially a growing love of him and all that belongs to him. So he says, look, you want to grow in Christ, you want to grow in communion and relationship with God, then you should spend time meditating in the glory of Christ, specifically his person and his work, that before us we should constantly be reflecting on who Jesus is. Now, the problem with that is this. You know, you're Christian for a year. Jesus is exciting. It's new. You read the Bible and it jumps off the page and just assaults you. And it's like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. Right? You've been a Christian for 40 years. You've read it all 100 times. Right? And what happens? We, we fall asleep. Right? It's like, oh yeah, I heard this. Oh yeah, Jesus died. He's on the cross. He, he was buried. He rose again. And, you know, I've heard this before, and it's boring, right? Uh, it, gets, it gets so familiar, it loses its punch to us, right? Well, this is what John Owen says about that. He says, do we find an unwillingness to the exercise of this grace? In other words, after a while, doesn't it get kind of routine and mundane? He says, have we grown dull and lifeless in, uh, in our diligence our duty of communion with God. Have you ever been there? It's like, yeah, you know, I just I read my Bible, but it's just not doing anything for me, right? And would we have our and, and then he says, would we have our souls recovered from this dangerous disease of of indifference? He says, then let us assure ourselves that there is no better way for our healing and deliverance, indeed, no other way at all, but this alone, namely, the obtaining of a fresh view of the glory of Christ by faith, and a steady abiding therein. Right? Uh, the sad reality is there's no other way to get around this. If you've gotten bored in your walk with Christ, you need a fresh view of Him. Because it is in abiding in that truth of who He is as the Lord of all salvation through the cross. Okay, that is the glory of God. I don't have time to go into all that, but it is the glory of God. Right? We need to constantly be, and if we've gotten tired of that story, we need to pray, God, make it fresh and alive and new to me. Can you rekindle in me what you have done for me on the cross? So the gospel, meditating, reflecting on the gospel. Uh, Secondly, Jesus says, "If, if, uh, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. Second thing is, uh, abiding in Christ means soaking in, drinking in huge doses of his word. Okay, the gospel is the truth about Jesus, Old and New Testament, that all points to Jesus, right? Uh, We need to let his word take deep root in our life to abide in us, right? And that goes far beyond just knowing good theology, knowing the Bible verses. It means uh, reflecting, meditating, contemplating on God's word to the extent that it takes it takes a hold of us, right? It becomes the driving force in our life. It, it governs us, right? How does that process take place? Well, I don't know any other way other than spending time in the Word, meditating deeply on it, and uh, soaking it up until it 
permeates my thinking at the deepest possible levels. God's word does not abide in you if the only time you ever hear it is Sunday morning at the you know in the sermon. Right? If that's your shot of God's word every week, uh, I don't care how good I am. I'm not that good. (laughs) I'm not that good. Uh, And it's not how it's designed to be. Okay. It's like going to a buffet once a week. You know, it's great, but it's not everyday meal, right? You need it every day. You need a constant influx of God's word. Also, I don't think it happens, you know, in a five-minute reading with your daily bread in the morning as you're on your way drinking your coffee and your donut out the way to work, right? I don't think it happens, uh, you know, in a busy, crowded place where you're being distracted by 10,000 things. I mean, some people can do this. Some people are not as ADD as I am. You know, for me, everything's a distraction. I've got to get a place where there's nothing distracting me from, from God's word. It takes time and space and effort, right, to be in his word. Uh, enough of that. Uh, his word abiding in us. Thirdly, he says, you need to abide in my love. It means encountering and experiencing the love of God in real and practical ways in your life. Right? Uh, again, we don't really have time to go into that, but Jesus says, abide in my love, and, and, and uh, I will love you as the Father has loved me. Right? We need to find ways to discover and encounter God's love in our life. So that's the first track. We, we abide, right? Um, but that's not the end of it, right? Uh, and there would be an image that we could just say, well, we just all become monks, we all go, go off and you know, move into the, te- into the temples and we just sit around all day meditating on Scripture. Is that the end of it? No, it's not. He says, second imperative, he says, if, you're, if, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you will, can ask whatever you want and I will do, if, do it for you. In this is my Father glorified. Okay, in this you will bear fruit. Second huge imperative. We are to be people who pray who pray, uh, but God is not glorified just in your praying, okay? Uh, I, I hate to tell you this, but you know that there's a lot of people in other religions than Christianity who pray way more than you do. Okay, Chances are the average Buddhist may pray more than you do, right? Uh, certainly, any dedicated Muslim, Muslim prays more than you do, right? Is God glorified because we pray? No. He's glorified in this. He's glorified in answered prayer. Okay. He is glorified in answered prayer. I don't think Muslims see a lot of answered prayer. Some Muslims would, would argue with that. I'm not going to argue with them. Uh, God is glorified in significant answers to prayer. He says, you'll ask whatever you want, and I'll do it. Right? God is ultimately glorified when we become the kind of people who know how to abide in Christ to the extent that we can pray Huge things, and God works. That's what it's about. Um, What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, it can mean a lot of things. Some people say, well, it means, you know, soul saved. Some people think it has to do with our character, with doing good deeds, with the fruit of the Spirit. In this context, bearing fruit means this. It ultimately means seeing God work through answered prayer. Probably in all of those things. Praying for the lost and seeing them come to Christ. Praying for believers and seeing their lives transformed. Praying into our own life God's character and righteousness and fruitfulness. Praying to see marriages healed. Praying to see healing, physical healing for those who are sick. Praying for God's answers for those who are poor and struggling. Right? 
uh, God is glorified when we know how to live powerful lives through prayer and seeing him answer those prayers. Um, Maybe you would say, well, I've tried prayer and it doesn't work. I tried this, right? I prayed, I asked, and it doesn't work, right? Well, okay, here's the deal. Either God's a liar and Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, or the problem is not just that you prayed. Okay, Jesus says, you'll be effective in prayer, you will see prayer answered, you will see God do huge things if you are abiding in me, right? If prayer's not working for you, I hate to tell you this, it means your whole abiding thing's not going very well, right? Uh, I've had lots of prayer not work. <laughs> I've prayed lots of things that did not happen. Uh, the problem is never with God because God's promises are absolute and true. If God says, you ask and I'll do it, I ask it doesn't happen, guess what? Okay, it's not a problem with God. There's a problem with me, right? I am not abiding in him. Okay, it's a great test, right? You open up your prayer journal, which I hope you have one, and you're writing down specific things. Uh, if God's not answering any of those things, okay, you need to go to God and say, okay, God, apparently this whole abiding thing I've missed. Okay, show me what it means to abide in you. Because he says, if you are abiding in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you want and it will happen. Right? A lot of reasons we don't have time to go into why that works. Uh, but it's a truth. And if it's not working, we need to evaluate our life. Okay? And we need to decide, am I going to be a person who bears fruit because I'm abiding with Christ? I'm living in communion in deep, significant relationship with Him. Or am I just going to keep being busy doing stuff for God that He does not really care about? Right? Uh, obviously, we want our lives to be fruitful. And he, says, and, he, and he says, and this is my Father glorified, and by this you prove you're a disciple. This is the whole deal, okay? If we want to live to glorify God, this is the path. A path of, of the gospel doing its complete work in us, of us growing into deep, deep relationship with Christ where we are one with him in communion and fellowship. And through that, we become people who know how to pray powerful, significant things, and we see God work and answer prayer. Does anybody want that life? I hope so. That's, and that's what we want as a church, okay? We want to be that kind of church, a church that experiences the power of God. And I'm not saying we are. I'm not saying I am, okay? It's the goal, though. It's what we put out there to say, this is what we believe God wants us to be as his people, right? And I've got a long way, I have a long ways to go in this whole abiding thing. Well, how, what does this look like for real, in real life, everyday life? Um, a couple of illustrations. One, uh, when I was first a pastor, um, southwest Colorado, doing a little church plant, had this group of ten people, it was my congregation, me and ten people, six of them were my family. Um, it was a very small church. And... Uh, we were with this mission, and their whole thing was, you know, that you build churches by home visitation. And they said, you know, you should spend half your time, 20 hours a week out, knocking on doors, doing home visitation. So I got all psyched up, and actually I hated home visitation, but they said, this is how you're going to build the church. So I went out, and I did, this is what I did, this is my doing. Went out, I did home visitation, and I knocked on people's doors all over this very rural area, 
And, uh, you know, people just love when pastors, you know, it's the next best thing to a Mormon, a Mormon you know, is a Christian pastor showing up, knocking on their door. Hi, I'm the local pastor, you know. Well, I did this faithfully, visited hundreds of people. Uh, and you know what happened? Nothing. Right? No one came to church, okay? I visited lots of people, tried to build relationships, tried to get to know people. All the people I met, all the people I visited, all the people I talked to, not one of them came to Christ, not one of them came to the church, right? Made lots of them just mad, right? Some of them were friendly. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I knew that somehow you were supposed to pray and, you know, God was supposed to do something. I was praying. I was learning how to abide in Christ. And the crazy thing is the church did actually grow. Uh, people came to me. Uh, I, I led people to Christ. People started coming to the church. But it was, it was crazy, not one of the people I had anything to do with are the ones who came. Not one of the people I had tried to share Christ with were the ones who, who came to Christ. Crazy people came. I mean, people came literally out of the woodworks. One guy lived in this far remote. People lived there because they wanted to be away from everything. This guy lived at the end of the world. Uh, somebody tried to give him a Jesus video, uh, and he kind of mocked them, chased them off his property. But through that, God started haunting him. And one day out of the blue, he calls me. You know, you're, you're a pastor dude, right? Yeah, yeah. So can I talk to you, right? God was doing it, right? God brought people to me. And now that guy came to Christ and had a chance to share Christ with him and his wife. I had nothing to do with it, right? See, God was producing fruit by his own means, right? Another example. Um, uh, in the in in, in non province, up way off in again a very remote village, uh, near near the Laotian border, uh, there was a lady in her sixties, who was a bitter, angry, mean woman. Uh, she had lost her daughter-in-law, had been in an accident, was paralyzed, and because she was a quadriplegic, her daughter-in-law took her own life, left her son with three small children. Uh, he was an angry, bitter guy. Uh, he remarried, but the stepmom didn't like the three girls, so she sent the kids away to a boarding school. When they would come home, she would send them out all day Saturday, all day Sunday to work in the fields, then take their money and send them back to boarding school every week. And this, this grandmother was just bitter and angry about all this, about life, about the hardship of her life, uneducated. Well, when she was 60 years old, she came to Christ, and she received the good news of Jesus. And it radically changed her life. And at 60 years old, she taught herself to read the Bible. She'd never been to school, completely uneducated, illiterate. 60 years old, she teaches herself to read the Bible. And uh, I've been in her home, and I'll tell you what, this lady knows what it means to abide in Christ. Never been to Bible school, doesn't really know much about the Bible. But she sits and spends hours, hours, every day, reading Scripture, abiding in the Word, and her neighbor says sometimes she's up to like 2 in the morning praying and singing and just praising God. And I've been there in the middle of a discussion, you know, house full of people. You know, grandma just fades off into Never Never Land and she's over in some corner reading her Bible, singing, all to herself. Praise Jesus. Uh, on and on. She abides in Christ, right? Well, she was very burdened about her three grandkids. And so she started praying for them. And she prayed specifically that God would raise up a safe place for them to live because uh, their father was not always real, real nice to the kids, and it was great hardship. 
pray that they would have a safe place to live and be able to get a good education. Uh, and I don't know, you know I, I can't wait to get to heaven to find out the whole story. But the, the answer to that prayer was Bonsan Rock, right? And uh, those kids came to live at Bonsan Rock. And I'm not so sure when I get to heaven, I'm going to find out that the only reason I, I ended up being moved to Thailand was because this grandma was praying, right? Uh, God could do stuff like that, right? Uh, and he answered her prayers in cool ways. And now... You know, one of her daughters that's in our home is aspiring to be a doctor. She's an incredible student, straight A, top of her classmate. And God is answering prayers, right? Because she knows how to abide with him and walk with him. Um, you know, what are you dealing with? And how do you do life, right? Maybe for you, I know a lot of people struggle with raising support. And their support's down. And uh, I, I, get, I love getting your prayer letters. And we do pray. And I know a lot of you... Your support's down. It seems like kind of a magic number is $1,000 a month. It's <laughs> a lot. Um, and, you know, there's this pressure. I've got to do something about this. I've got I to go raise support, right? Uh, try this. Try abiding in Christ. Say, God, I'm going to abide in you. I am going to sink deeply into you, and I'm going to see you provide, right? Um, now, does it mean we don't ever do anything? Does it mean, again, now we just... So now we, we sit around and we read the Bible and pray. <laughs> Is that all we do? Um, does it mean we should never write a prayer letter? We should never go visit home churches? Does it mean we should never go out and evangelize? We should never lead a Bible study? No. Uh, in fact, Jesus says, uh, second part of the equation, we don't have time to go into it, but he says, he says you, you also glorify God and, and ultimately you experience his joy through obedience, right? So as you grow in love, as you abide in Christ, as you come to experience his love, he says part of that is walking in obedience. And God's going to call you to do things. Right? He's going to call you to mission. He's going to call you to ministry. He's going to put on your heart specific things you're supposed to do. You know, you don't have enough support. God may burden you to write one letter to one person, right? Or to make a phone call. I don't know, you know how God works, but he will lead us. And it's not that we don't do anything. Jesus' life was full and busy. Jesus did lots of stuff. But here's the difference. Everything Jesus did, Jesus did in direct obedience to God's direction and leading. I really want my life to be that way. I don't want to do anything except only what God has called me to do. Uh, that, That I have learned... Uh, to obey him. And again, we talked last week about obedience. It's not the obedience of merit. It's the obedience of faith. And we won't go into all that again. But uh, we, uh, we are to obey him. It's one of the imperatives in this passage. We are to abide in his love and we're to obey his commands. We're to hear his voice and do what he says. Right? Uh, and the result of that, he says, I have written these things, uh, this especially uh, living in his love and, and learning to walk in obedience so that you will be filled with my joy, and your joy will overflow. Um, For me, this is just a core value of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be the church. Uh, So what does it look like for CCF? As we focus on specifically the the aspect of communion, well, simply, let me just give you three quick things. First of all, it has incredible implications for how we do ministry. We want to do ministry that starts 
fully with abiding in Christ. Right? That we are people who, as leaders and as a church family, know how to draw into Christ, to be anchored in the gospel, anchored deeply in his word, reflecting on what he's given us in scripture, and prayerfully seeking God. Uh, we don't ever want to do any programs, ministries. We don't want to do any plans that don't start there and that are not fully directed through our communion and fellowship with Christ. Now, are we there? Do we do this well always? I don't, I don't think so. We have a long ways to go. But that's how we want to do, that's what we want to be as a church, as leaders, as elders, as ministries, as from, you know, from Sunday school to youth to outreach, that we are seeking God and listening and, and walking in communion and fellowship with him, that that is what we do. Um, as I grow more and more this path, in this path, I think I get worse and worse as a preacher in some respects. And by that I mean this. I used to put a lot of emphasis and time on trying to be creative, trying to be entertaining, trying to be clear, trying to have good illustrations, you know. And those are all good things. But again, if I do all those things and I'm not first abiding, it will not bear fruit. So now I spend a lot more time praying. And sometimes I don't have time to come up with good illustrations. And sometimes probably I'm boring. The amazing thing is, the more boring I am, somehow God works in spite of it. I don't know how it works. But God's producing fruit as I abide, right? Uh, Second thing, it is the primary goal of our ministry. Uh, You know, as we preach, teach the word, as we do Sunday school, as we do youth ministry, one of the things that we we will always be continually calling and directing people to is to be sinking your life into Christ, to be abiding more deeply in him. Uh, we're not going to go off of that. We're not going to decide, well, we talked about that and so we can move on to something else. Okay, that will always be a theme, driving us back to deeper relationship with God, to, to be putting before us a fresh vision of who Jesus is, a fresh vision of the gospel. And lastly, uh, it really, it really we, we want it to be how we evaluate ministry. And when we look at what we're doing, we want to ask, is it bringing glory to God because we are seeing prayers answered? Because we are seeing fruit, the fruit of, of God at work, right? Uh, we're not going to measure things so much by numbers. We're not going to measure things by, you know, how many programs we have. We're going to measure it by, are we, are we seeing God work through answered prayer through the power of the Spirit and through the effectiveness of His doing, His, His outworking as we serve Him. Well, let's pray. Father, we just thank You so much that You, you are the gardener. You are Lord over all. You are sovereign. And it is Your, your, your mission to make us fruitful, both individually and as a church. Lord, that both in, in us as well as through us, there would be an abundance of lasting fruit that brings glory to you, of changed and transformed lives and hearts and of, uh, of lives that are making a significant impact in the world around them. Not by our own doing, but through Christ who is at work within us and through the outflow of his life and ministry in and through us. So Lord, help us to be people who first and foremost above all things 
are committed to a life of abiding in your presence and of exploring and learning all that that means and, and how it is that we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. Lord, guide us and teach us and lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tim. It's a great way to start off the new year, to focus us and to remember that whatever resolutions or promises we've made to improve ourselves or to... uh, You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.